This podcast contains mature content and listener discretion is advised. Also, be advised, we are not medical professionals and this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. It is a true emergency. Quick, run. Love aliens. And we're in. We're in. Welcome back to Mystery Team Inc., the podcast where when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's a podcast. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. We're happy you're here. We're happy to be here. We're happy you're here. Um, Kayla. Yes. Oh, I'm Maggie. I'm Kayla. And this is Mystery Team. We're. Oh, go ahead. It's not like a we. Sure, sure. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what are we? I don't we? know. We never nailed this down. <laughs> <laughs> We're only fifty-eight episodes in. <laughs> Give us a minute to get our hit our stride. You know. <laughs> we need to get into a rhythm. Yeah, let us get into a rhythm. <laughs> God, um, you people, what do you want from us? Um, what were you going to say? We're what? No, I said we're Mystery Team Inc. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah we you are. said this yeah. is. And then sure. I started to doubt whether I well, could it say is. we. <laughs> Isn't it? Aren't we? It is and Who we are. Who among us? <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? Um, do you have any business? Uh, yeah. Great. Go for it. For once. <laughs> okay, I have two pieces of business, one of which happened very, very recently, like maybe five minutes ago, which is that I caught a fly in my hand. What? And then I kept it in my fist, and then I stuck my hand outside and let it go outside. Oh, my God. And it wax was on, wax most... off. I felt like Mother Gaia. I love that for you. Okay, but the actual piece of business that I have is, I have an update. Oh my god, to a a mystery? Yes. I'm so excited. I love it when this happens. We need a special noise for this. Okay. I'll consult our award-winning sound designer. Okay. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so five days ago, they exhumed the body of the Somerton man. To mom shooed. Yes. I'm f- so excited for whatever you're going to tell yeah. me. That, I mean, that's basically it. So what, they exhumed the body and now they are like, they have like a tricky job ahead getting enough DNA to do all the tests they want to do. Yeah. And then they have to like, you know, find people with that DNA, which they'll probably just go to 23andMe. Right. But, so that was five days ago. And so the next step is extract dna from the body somehow i'm so excited i know i'm so excited so i'll be keeping everybody and you updated on that but yeah keep me just know that they dug it up and there was nobody to be like "Uh, no it's disrespectful to the dead (laughs) 
It's <laughs> not rude. It's science. Just do it. <laughs> and they did. And we're, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, I love <sighs> that. Wow, good update. So that's, that's my business. I don't always have business, but when I do, it's satisfactory. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a piece of business, which is that... On 60 Minutes the other day, they just were like, yeah, UFOs. Like, we don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, the government is just, like, keeps teasing more alien drops. And it's hilarious because, as we've pointed out, like, everyone's just like, yeah, I mean, it's cool. But, like, there's a lot. We just have a lot going on right now. Yeah, like, we're, like, really overwhelmed. Like, I can't take on any more. Extraplanetary life. (laughs) You know? Um, Even, like, I read that Obama, I guess, said something recently where, I don't know, like, and he was like, I don't know, because they're going to release a bunch more stuff, evidently. Here's my thing about this. Is that I just feel like this could very easily just be, like, a... Uh, placating the masses with like the information that they can release like it usually is there's so much more we're not getting the good stuff and the whole thing that ufologists like to say is it's just like it's just about disclosure like they just want more transparency um and so like yeah the government can like just give us a little bit a little bit here and there and call it transparency so you know whatever yeah um but if the government's like oh uh, we're just letting you guys know, like, in the interest, in, in the interest of transparency, that, like, we've been looking into this. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not what we asked. Right. You know? <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But it's not what we wanted. <laughs> like, you didn't understand the assignment. No. No, um, no, not at all. Okay. Are you ready for a mystery? Yeah, you got me all fired up. Great. About the aliens. That's exactly, I got you where I want you. Okay, I'm ready. Oh, hold on. Um, I oh, finally have a beer Ceremonial tonight. quacking of the beers. Quack, quack. What should we quack to? Um, I would like to quack to, you know what? Hmm. I would like to quack to you and me. <laughs> because Aww. we have been working our cute little butts off. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I think we deserve a beer cracked in our honor for working so hard. Thanks. I agree. To us. Great. To us. Quack, quack. Okay. Are you ready for a mystery? Yes, I'm very excited. Thanksgiving Eve, 1971, Portland International Airport. A well-dressed man in a raincoat, a black suit, and a clip-on tie approached the flight counter of Northwest... No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh my God, don't do that to me. (laughs) JK. Okay. I almost started crying. I thought you were going to tell me it was solved. No, I wish. <laughs> Are you crying? Don't cry. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> no, you really are going to want to be here after you hear what I'm doing. I'm so upset. No. Oh don't be upset. I have never experienced a faster high. <laughs> oh my God, no. Just wait because you're, you're about to be right back there. In the early morning hours of December 26, 1980, Airman John Burroughs and Staff Sergeant Bud Steffens were on security patrol outside the east gate of RAF Woodbridge, a military airbase air in Suffolk, England. <gasps> Suddenly, Bud Steffens turned to John Burroughs and said, 
Did you see that? Oh, my God. At approximately 2.50 a.m., John Burroughs called the, fr- the desk sergeant at the base to let them know that they had just seen strange lights descend into Rendlesham Forest. <laughs> yes! Oh, my God! <laughs> Maggie, this is my favorite alien! I know, it's the best one! <laughs> I told you this was going to be a you episode. You're my best friend! <laughs> And you're my best friend. Are you so excited? I'm so excited. This is my favorite one. (laughs) Are you so excited to do an alien episode? I'm so excited specifically to do Randallship. Yeah, it's going to be good. Okay, I have calmed down. I'm ready. Okay, great. So first I have to shout out some sources. Um... My main source, actually, for this episode was not one of the many books that have been written about it, because if if we wanted to, we could spend five hours on this mystery and follow, go down every rabbit hole, literally, we'll get to those in a minute, um, but it's just too much. So my main source for this episode, um, one of them was a documentary called Codename Rendlesham, which was panned on Amazon by ufologists. Um, uh-huh. Is the, <laughs> I, just, I can't decide if that's good or bad. <laughs> let me read some of the reviews to you. Ah, oh, yes. One star. <laughs> the title of this review is, This film, question mark, is a purposely misleading and false retelling of a real event. What a Rendell sham. Oh, They said, I think my title says it all. I have watched and read many accounts of the Rendlesham incident, and this is the least factual, least accurate, disingenuous, dishonest, and misleading documentary I have seen on the subject. The authors of this abomination went out of their way to not only be misleading, but to spread outright lies. (laughs) Oh, my Um, God. Another review, one star. The title is just all capital, lies. (laughs) I love my people. <laughs> I know. This is another verified purchase. Um, it says, who are we to believe the three eyewitnesses who were there, one of which has a recorded version of events which happened to himself at the exact time of the event, or or skeptics who were not there. <laughs> skeptics are all well and good if they are there witnessing the same events at the same time and then still come to the conclusion that it was, I don't want to give a spoiler. Um, so this, I did use this as a source, but also like (laughs) warily. Um, and then I figured out, I think why the ufologists hate it so much. Do you agree with them? No. That it's lies and a Rendell sham? (laughs) No, I mean, I just think, I will just say that it's like, it's a very, it's, it's a skeptics documentary. Okay, like, there's well. no buy-in at all. You know what so I mean? So what we can say is that it's no fun. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Um, I also, just to be fair, used an episode of Ancient Aliens. Okay. This <laughs> is well-rounded research. That's what I'm saying. I really wanted to just, I really wanted to, you know, give everyone their due. Um, and then I also watched some YouTube videos and did oh, some God. other, you know, some cl- normal cursory internet research so this is like 
an assemblage <laughs> of <laughs> the events that happened in Rendlesham Forest. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I guess we should start this off by saying that the Rendlesham Forest incident is like England's Roswell. So the story takes place in Suffolk, England. Um, it centers around two military bases. One is RAF Woodbridge, and the other is RAF Bentwaters. So when RAF Woodbridge was built, they cleared out over a million trees from Rendlesham Forest and built the base sort of nestled up against Rendlesham Forest. RAF Bentwaters is on the other side of a stretch of Rendlesham Forest, um, and they're called the Twin Bases. Woodbridge was built during World War II to assist damaged British aircraft landing after air raids over Germany. And it was fitted with extra long, extra heavy duty runways. They're 9,000 feet long and 750 feet wide, which is five times the normal width of a runway. Wow. Because they're designed for planes who have been damaged. So like if their landing gear is messed up or whatever, like they need the, the room. <laughs> um, funny story. I don't know if this is, it's funny to me. Um, on July 13th, 1944, a Luftwaffe U-88 mm. G-1 night fighter landed at Woodbridge Base. It was carrying recent versions of a new radar system that had been successfully used by the Germans to intercept RAF bombers. And the German crew had only just completed 100 hours of flight training and navigated using a compass, but had proceeded in exactly the wrong direction and thought they were landing in their own airfield. Within days, the Royal Aircraft Establishment had analyzed the radar equipment and devised countermeasures. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) They were like flight school Germans. And they landed at RAF Woodbridge because they thought they were over their own airfield because they went in exactly the wrong direction in the middle of World War II. Oh, that's so sad. And they were carrying like new radar. And... The British were like, thank you. Okay, I want we'll to clarify. That. It's not sad. In general. <laughs> it is right. sad for those people. Right, right. <laughs> we're like, just finished 100 hours. <laughs> and then just right. like fucked yeah. up in the worst way possible. But like good yeah, for yeah. the history like, of the humanity. Right. It was a victory for the Allies, but a bad day for the Germans. Um... <laughs> Another interesting piece of information, I promise we'll get to the aliens, but you know me, like I just, I'm like a history nerd, so I'm along for the ride, baby. Let's go. I know Rendlesham's Um, coming, so I'm ready. (laughs) This is just another interesting tidbit I learned. About 30% of the emergency landings at RAF Woodbridge were caused by bad weather, especially fog, which they dispersed using fog investigation and dispersal operation, aka FIDO where up to 120,000 gallons of gasoline per hour were pumped through a system of pipes along the side of the runway and burnt to produce a wall of flames that would lift the fog. Oh. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Is that, were they just producing the longest heavy metal music video? Like, it's just... It's a the biggest yes. runway you can build in the world. Yeah, lined with fire, with yeah. flames, with pyrotechnics, and yeah. a heavy fog just like 
floating Rolling over out. the flames. Yes, correct. Uh, okay. So none of that is important information. Really, all you need to know is that the twin bases were leased by the RAF, the Royal Air Force, to the U.S. Air Force starting in the 1950s. The U.S. Air Force was at the bases from the 50s into the 80s. Um, they were stationed there during the Cold War. And in the 80s, when our story takes place, um, RAF Woodbridge was home to the 81st Tactical Fighting Wing, whose job was close air support during the Cold War. And at this time, it was also home to the 67th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron, known as the Night Owls. (gasps) And they were responsible for special ops, mid-air refueling, and recovery for for the Apollo missions and space shuttle programs. Oh my god, that's so cool. Also, mid-air yeah. refueling is so yes. cool. So Aww. these are like the guys. Um, and they are the ones who like get sent out to like pick up pieces of the space shuttle that like broke off and like flew into the ocean and stuff. Um, so back to our heroes, John Burroughs and Bud Steffens. So at 2.50 a.m., um, John Burroughs phoned the desk sergeant and drove i don't know if that's what he's called i already forgot um and they drove their jeep to the edge of the forest to see if they could get a better look at the lights at that time the base dispatched sergeant jim peniston who came down to the edge of the trees met bud steffens and john burroughs and saw the same strange lights in the forest at first they suspected that it may have been a downed aircraft but then bud said this classic line, forever associated with Rendlesham, it didn't crash, it landed. Oh! Oh my god, it gives me chills! I know. I want my wedding vows to be, it didn't crash. It didn't crash, it landed. It landed. <laughs> oh my I god, love so that. Good. I know. I know, I just, I like, I want it on a t-shirt, to quote you. I do. Okay. John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, and another man named Ed Cabansig, who was there. I think he came down with Penniston, but I don't know for sure. No no one, there's no like real good answer to these questions. He was there. He was there. Um, also, I've heard it pronounced Cabansag, but in the documentary, John Burroughs said Cabansig or Cabansag. Fuck, now I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> Cabin Sag. It was Cabin Sag. John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, and Ed Cabin Sag left their weapons with Bud Steffens and Major Sergeant J.D. Chandler and went into the forest to see what they could figure out. They also set up a radio relay to monitor their situation in case it was dangerous. Jim Penniston walked in front with John Burroughs behind him and then Ed Cabin Sag behind him in a line um, with like John said, like, 20 feet in between each of them. As they walked through the forest, they could hear animals howling that they assumed were farm animals from the nearby farms. But what they didn't know is that the nearby farms actually didn't have any animals. What they were hearing were the howls of the muntjac, also known as barking deer. So they were just hearing the howls of deer in the forest. As they approached the light... According to John Burroughs, it got incredibly bright, and then it shot up into the sky. Huh? And according to John Burroughs, that is the end of that story. 
When the men made it back to the Jeep, Bud and JD were like, where were you guys? We lost you on the radio for 45 minutes. What? And John and Jim were like, what? And when they looked at their watches, their watches were running 45 minutes slow. And the timings are noted in the statement by Fred Burren, who's the man who was monitoring their radio signals while they were in the forest on the radio relay. The creepiest part of alien encounters like this, like not abductions, but when they just see stuff is when they lose time. Like it's so ooky to me. Yeah, it's creepy. So John Burroughs, that's John Burroughs' story. John Burroughs says that he never saw any kind of craft he only saw an oval object, like, with lights. That's John Burroughs' story. This is Jim Penniston's story. At the time, Jim Penniston didn't want to give his account to the military until he was assured that it would not affect his career. When he was assured that it would not affect his career, he confessed that he had seen a craft that night. But he said that he hadn't gotten close enough to see what it was. Now you have to put on your alien hat because this is where we're going to start to go into in- inexplicable territory. Okay, well, I, ha- I never take my alien hat off. So <laughs> <laughs> Later, Penniston's story changed. That doesn't mean that it's not true. There are a lot of reasons why he may have not initially shared the whole story. Yeah. Um, at any rate... In the later version of his story, he says that that night when they went out and looking for the lights, he says he came upon a large black object in a small clearing about 10 feet tall and 10 feet wide. The object was box-shaped but stood on three legs. Penniston started taking pictures and used up his entire roll of film. He noticed writing on the surface of the box that looked like glyphs. He wrote down what he saw in a field notebook that he kept with him at all times. Then he reached out and touched the object. He said it looked smooth like cloth, but it felt like black glass or obsidian. And when he touched the object, the glyphs began to glow with a blinding blue light. He said he jumped back and the object lifted off the ground and flew away without making a single sound. Oh, that's another really creepy thing is when they don't, yeah, make, they, any they don't make any sound. Also, something that they noted when all this happened was originally they suspected it was like a downed aircraft, but they said that they didn't smell any kind of fuel, which is all, like whenever a plane crashes, it's like very obvious smell. Like everything smells like jet fuel. Yeah. Um. So it's weird that like there was no exhaust or any sound or anything like that. Um, now, I think if you want to just, like, take a cinematic narrative approach to this, like, those two versions of the story are not mutually exclusive, especially because you have missing time. Yeah. Um, but that's, okay, taking my alien hat off. That night, because this, remember, this all happened at, like, three in the morning. So that same night, the men reported their experience to Colonel Halt. But Penniston didn't tell Halt the whole story. He just told him about the lights part, which is like John Burroughs' story. Um, Halt thought it was probably a meteor. So Colonel Halt instructed them to coordinate with local law enforcement and go out and investigate. 
So they called in the local Suffolk police. To look at a meteor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Around daybreak, <laughs> because uh, keep in mind that these guys are base security. So it's the base security guys basically went back to the military and they were like, something crashed in the forest. And they were like, all right, well, go get out there with the police, I guess. Um, a lot of sources that I like listened to and read basically said that like the military wanted to just like not deal with this at all. Um, also, keep in mind that it was literally Christmas. Like, this was right. the early morning hours of December 26th. So, like, no one... I mean, the um, deputy... Uh, Charles Holt was the deputy base commander because the actual base commander was, like, on vacation with his family. Like, nobody's there. It's Christmas. They don't want to deal with it, especially if it's aliens. <laughs> so, they, like... They were like, great. You go get a couple cops and, like, let us know what you find. So, around daybreak... Peniston led the local police and military investigators to the clearing where he had seen the craft or where they had witnessed the lights. There they found three holes in the ground where Jim later says the legs had stood. Each was about 10 inches across and one inch deep, laid out in an equilateral triangle about eight feet by eight feet. Police noticed that some of the trees in the area were burned or broken. Something had knocked off entire branches from about 10 feet up, but none of them believed that it was any kind of alien encounter. The police said that the holes could be rabbit burrows, which are common in Rendlesham Forest, although it's worth noting that it was December and the ground was frozen solid. And it was only an inch deep. Yeah, they look like impressions. Dumb. Is it surprising you that the cops are doing... Negligent police work? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I forgot you love negligent law enforcement. Uh-uh. <laughs> um, also, the documentary Codename Rundlesham actually shows the photos <gasps> of the depressions that they took on that day. I would like to see them, please. Yeah, you can. When Penniston developed his film, despite the fact that it had been a clear night, all 36 photos were cloudy and impossible to decipher. December 27th. Colonel Halt was at a holiday party at a bar in Woodbridge when an officer from the base burst into the bar, ran up to Colonel Halt and said, the UFO is back. <gasps> so Colonel Halt went back to the base. He gathered a group of men and instructed them to set up floodlights called light at the edge of the forest. He arrived at the forest just after midnight on December 28th. And when he got there, the troops reported that the floodlights were malfunctioning. None of them were working. Okay. So the group split up like goddamn Scooby-Doo and swept the area with flashlights and radiation meters. Colonel Halt brought a tape recorder and recorded 17 minutes of audio during the course of a four-hour investigation. They moved through the forest, and when they got to the alleged landing site from the night before, they detected elevated radiation levels. It was a minuscule amount of radiation, still less than an x-ray, but forests aren't usually radioactive at all, so <laughs> take that as you will. Um, this led Star Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels to wonder if the radiation had affected Peniston's photographs. Because oh. radiation can fuck up film. 
Now, okay. side note for the ufologists, because there's been a lot of controversy around the radiation meters that they used. Because the radiation meters were designed to measure major nuclear blasts. So, like, they were not designed like normal Geiger counters to just read, like, background radiation. They were designed for, like, radioactive spills. Um, so the readings that they got were, like, the very bottom of the scale because they're designed for, like, massive amounts of nuclear activity. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't radiation. Um, it also could have been like a spike, which may have even been a malfunction of the radiation meters. Um, but this is where it's important that I should mention that it has been reported that the U.S. stored nuclear missiles at RAF Woodbridge without the U.K. public knowing. Hmm, um, that sounds like some shit we would do. Yeah, it's pretty much like all but confirmed that we were storing a massive nuclear arsenal there. Um, Essentially, it's the same similar thing to like, I'm I'm sure you remember from our JFK episodes that um, during the Cold War, we just had like nuclear missiles all over the world, like just pointed (laughs) at the Soviets. Yeah. And JFK JFK even um, like bargained with Khrushchev about, he was like, okay, we'll take those missiles out of Greece or wherever, but he had like other ones just like right next door and like just didn't yeah. tell anybody about them. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, this is the kind of thing that America does is like we just like hide nuclear shit all over the world, like fucking Easter eggs. Um, and so, yeah, so some people also make the point that like we, I mean, we don't know, but yeah, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, so the landing site, alleged landing site, was giving off radiation. As they gathered data, they heard the barking of the Machak deer again. No. And suddenly, the lights appeared again. (gasps) Halt ordered his men to turn off their flashlights, and they watched the lights pierce through the trees. Halt described it as pieces of the light breaking off and falling to earth, later saying it looked like the light was dropping molten metal. What? Luckily... Colonel Halt's tape recorder was rolling. <gasps> so now we're going to uh, listen to some excerpts from the Halt tape. Oh my God. So if you'll go to your Mystery Team Inc. drive. <laughs> oh no, it's like interactive. Yes. Okay, I'm ready when you are. Okay, ready? One, two, mm-hmm. three. We're hearing very strange sounds out of the farmers burning our animals. It's- very, very active, making an awful lot of noise. This is an pigmentation. You just saw a light yes, where? Where? Right, 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 right. right at this position here, straight ahead in between the tree. There it is again. Watch. Straight ahead off my flashlight there. Yeah, sir. There it is. Hey, I see it too. What is it? We don't know, sir. So you have a giant. Yeah, it's a strange, small red light. You'll see out maybe a quarter to a half mile, maybe further out. Switch off. The light is gone now. It was approximately 120 degrees from the site. Is it back again? Yes, sir. Oh, that's the flashlight set. Let's move out to the edge of the clearing so we can get a better look at it. See if you can get the star scope on it. The light's still there, and all the barrier animals have gotten quiet now. <gasps> Farmer's house and across in the next field. Now we have multiple sightings of up to five lights with a similar shape and all, but 
They seem to be steady now rather than a pulsating or glow with a red flash. We just crossed the, the creek and uh, we're getting what kind of readings now? Getting th three good clicks on the meter and we're seeing strange lips or something there for a minute or two. Zero three fifteen, now we've got an object about 10 degrees directly south, 10 degrees off the horizon. And the ones in the north are moving, one's moving away from us. He's coming toward us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. This is unreal. 330, and the objects are still in the sky, although the one to the south looks like it's losing a little bit of altitude. We're turning around and heading back toward the, the base. The object, to the, the object to the south is still beaming down lights to the ground. I am obsessed. <laughs> Is that amazing? <laughs> I could listen to that for hours. Yeah, the good news is there's 17 minutes of audio that you can listen to of that. Um, I just like picked moments that I liked. I love when he's like, we're observing what appears to be beam of light, beaming down to the ground. Um, I liked when he was like, all right, well, the light's gone. Like he clicks it back on and then the guy's like, Run, run, run. He's like, oh, it's back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, super fun. I just love that audio. Um, it's one of the, it's, it's really like a true, like, UFO, like, ufology historical object because. Yeah, it's like an artifact. The, right. Because it's a military recording. You know what I mean? Like, it's similar to, like, the UAP, um, like, f Navy fighter uh, video that we, that's been, like, kind of blowing up recently. Yeah. Um, that we actually have in our intro, um, where it's, like, this is, like, a military record of, yeah. like, this thing, like, this unexplained thing happening. So I think it's super fun. Um, so he recorded 17 minutes over four hours. So they watched as the lights disappeared, and then they saw three glowing objects in the distance, which you hear on the tape, he says. Um, one in the distance, one flying north, while the other hovered in the south. They moved in sharp angular motions, occasionally dropping red, green, and blue lights. The two lights in the north were visible for about an hour, and the one in the south was visible for about three hours. Oh, my Moving God. around in the sky and occasionally shining beams of light toward Woodbridge Base. And then eventually it disappeared. Are the beams of light different than dropping light? Yes. They later described the beams of light like a laser beam. So, like, classic abduction beam. You know what okay, I mean? And then the dropping lights is, like, if you dropped a blob of light. Yeah. It's, like, if, like, little pieces of light were falling off of it. Like, as if, like, imagine, like, little, like, parachuters were jumping off, but they were just little made of light. That's so bizarre. Yeah. More than 20 U.S. servicemen witnessed the lights in the sky just on that night alone. And that's just U.S. servicemen. Now, the military men weren't the only ones who saw lights in the sky from December 26th through 28th. There were also civilian reports. 
of seeing lights that night, those nights. Roy and Marina Webb and their daughter were driving home when their daughter pointed out a shooting star. They saw a bright light in the sky, but noticed that the star wasn't falling, it was hovering. They soon realized that it wasn't just hovering, it was flying parallel to them. <gasps> Roy pulled over, and when he stopped, the light stopped moving. Oh. Then it zoomed up into the sky at an incredible speed and vanished. Oh. My. God. <laughs> I know. Another local named Jerry Harris also saw lights that night. He said that he saw three flying lights back and forth over Rendlesham Forest. Then two of them zoomed away. The remaining light hovered over Rendlesham for a moment before lowering down into the woods. At the time, he thought he had seen a plane or a helicopter crash into the woods. Then he saw the last light fly up out of the forest and disappear. Oh my god. So there are also civilian reports from lights that night. Now. The Ministry of Defense requested that the twin bases turn over all the evidence that they had. All of the main witnesses wrote accounts. All of them submitted them. The Ministry of Defense ruled that nothing reported in Rendlesham Forest had any defense significance. <coughs> now, that doesn't mean nothing happened. It just means they didn't think it was a threat. Okay. Then, the file remained sealed until the U.S. government released the HALT memo as part of a Freedom of Information Act request in 1983. England didn't have similar such legislation until later, so Americans got the release first. Um, and the reason that we have all of this information on Rendlesham is because of the HALT memo. So, two weeks after the incident, Colonel HALT wrote what is known as the HALT memo, it was a memo for the British base commander who was coming back. The memorandum was dated 13 January 1981 under the title Unexplained Lights. And it described the story as I've described it to you. But because he wrote it two weeks after the incident, he actually got the dates of the incident wrong. No. Which is something that ufologists, ufologists love to scream about because... When they later went to go check all the military logs for things like radar reports from the night and other security patrol reports, for a long time, they were looking at the wrong days, so there was just no corroborating information. There was someone who came forward, the sort of original whistleblower from this story, but we'll talk about him later. But the Halt Memo was the first piece of, like, official military information that was released. So when they went back to corroborate that information and check things like find out if there were any weird radar reports that night or whatever, they were looking at the wrong days because I think he wrote the 27th and the 29th, but it was the 26th and the 28th. Now let's talk about the skeptics. Skeptics are quick to point out that there was a meteor around 3 a.m. the night of the first sighting. Amateur astronomers observed several bright fireballs that night, the brightest of which exploded at 2.50 on Boxing Day morning, which is the exact time that John Burroughs and Bud Steffens phoned the base. This is where I think codename Rendlesham loses its audience and, like, doesn't know how to read a room because it's at this point in the story that they point out that Close Encounters of the Third Kind had played in theaters right in the run-up to the Rendlesham Forest incident. Boo. And they also feel the need to point out that a sci-fi film called Hangar 18 was playing in theaters that December, which revolves around a crashed spacecraft being kept at a military base, and the spacecraft has hieroglyphic insignia on it 
not dissimilar to what Jim Penniston described from his encounter with the craft. Yeah, I don't think that they were really clear on who was going to be watching this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. At 9.20 on Christmas evening, so the same night, but like at 9.20, the booster stage of a Russian satellite, Cosmos 749, had re-entered the atmosphere and slowly disintegrated over southern England. Skeptics think that the breakup of the Russian satellite may have been part of this. They also think that it may have psychologically influenced people in the area. They also point out that stealth fighters were being flown at the time, like early stealth fighters. And because that Russian satellite booster landed, like, uh, disintegrated over southern England and it landed in the sea about 20 miles from Rendlesham, there is a skeptic's theory that maybe the Russian satellite booster disintegrated and then stealth fighters were involved in a recovery because that's what the 67th Aerospace recovery squadron did and they think that maybe that's what people at the base saw so they think maybe they were like using stealth fighters to recover that um booster that like fell into the ocean and that's what people were seeing um like flying around and they also want to point out that the um the main witnesses for the incident were base security patrol who are part of the military, but that's their job. They're base security. They're not the special ops guys in the 67th, you know, or in the 81st tactical wing. Um, so they basically say maybe this was either a recovery operation or um, like even an exercise being executed that the base security wouldn't have been privy to because it was classified. Um, like it would have been a high security level, like clearance level um, operation. And so basically like skeptics think maybe it was like the military catching the military. Yeah. <laughs> like doing secret ops. Um, and no one from the 67th Aerospace Rescue and Recovery Squadron has ever come forward uh, or made any comment about any of this. So they think maybe they were like doing something secret that was supposed to be a fucking secret. And then like their own guys were like, what is that? <laughs> um, also, they like to point out that the 67th Aerospace Re Rescue and Recovery Squadron had an Apollo capsule that they used for training missions. So some skeptics think maybe they like dropped the Apollo capsule in the forest, either intentionally or as part of an exercise. And that that's what everyone saw. Um, like I said, no members of the 67th have ever gone on record about it. So who fucking knows? Then there is the like story that has stuck forever on the skeptic side, which is the lighthouse. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the lighthouse. Oh, the lighthouse makes me blood red mad. <laughs> oh, that's going to come into play, actually. Um, oh, good. <laughs> we'll be right back after this message from our sponsors. Hey, gumshoes. What are you getting your dad or your partner for Father's Day? Is it a mystery? 
Well, mystery solved because Manscaped makes the perfect gift for the hairy people in your life. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and they just launched their Lawnmower 4.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MYSTERY at manscaped.com. Surprise the father in your life with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer. It's easily the best Father's Day gift. I'll be giving the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer to my stepdad for Father's Day. Mom, if you're listening, don't tell him. It's a surprise. I was going to give the Lawnmower 4.0 to my boyfriend, but I'm keeping it. Didn't know I had a boyfriend, did you? Well, now you do, and that's why you don't skip the ads. The boyfriend trimmer, Lawnmower 4.0, has a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a travel lock, which is a great feature if you or your father do a lot of traveling for work. It also has a 4000K LED spotlight for a more precise shave. And you can shave in the shower because this product is waterproof. The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. It sounds like alien technology, but it's real. They also have a ton of other amazing products like cologne, crop mop ball wipes, crop reviver ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. And Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. No balls were harmed in the making of this ad. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code mystery at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code mystery. Get the men in your life a gift you know they'll use this Father's Day with Manscaped. And we're back. We're back with soothing existential nighttime radio. Tonight, if the military told us everything we wanted to know, would we actually be able to handle it? And after that, are you funny or is that just a manifestation of your trauma? (gasps) Why would you say that right (laughs) after I tried to make a joke? (laughs) That was about us. Oh, no. Also, not mutually exclusive, I would say. It can be both, yeah. It can be funny it is, and I would a argue. manifestation of my trauma. I am funny because of my trauma. Yeah. What doesn't and- kill you makes you funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's the episode title. I'm I'm funny because of my horrible anxiety. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. My dep- I'm you know this, Maggie, that I'm never funnier than when I am sad. Yeah, pain like just so depressed. <laughs> yes. Um, also, actually, while we're talking about this, now is a great time to say thank you. We've gotten a bunch of really great reviews recently, and also just like a lot of people reaching out and connecting, and. I know I say this every episode, but just thank you for reaching out. Thank you for the reviews. One person said, Mystery Team Inc. is getting them through their breakup. I wanted to be like, they're they're back in the catalog somewhere. And by the time they get to this episode, by the time they get to this episode, they're going to be so over them. And I'm so happy for them. I know. Oh, my um, God. I just want to say to that person, <laughs> remember? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you remember, like, um, there there are, like, some breakups. Like, there are there is... The breakup that hit me the hardest in my early 20s and mid in my life, I look back on it and I'm like, you dumb bitch. Like, I was a shell of a human being. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and it's the best feeling in the world. Anyway, so welcome to your future. 
Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, you're you're by the time you listen to this, you'll be having a weird girl summer. It's going to be great. Um, (laughs) And someone else said, like, they started a hard job and Mystery Team Inc. was like helping them. And I was just like, yeah, I feel all these things. So thanks for listening. Also, Um, just know that like Mystery Team Inc. has also gotten us through breakups and bad (laughs) jobs. So like it's nice. Yeah, exactly. See, I think I've said this. I've definitely said this to you before, but I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. And if I have, I'll just cut it out. But in the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend concert on Netflix, <laughs> wait, Rachel says something like, she's like, it's really nice. To have all these people who connect so much with this show because it make you say it makes you feel less crazy to like see your mental illness play out on this show. And she's like, and for us too, because we wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> Based on our lives. So like it's nice to hear other people also ident- like that's how I feel. It's nice yeah. to hear people being like this is helping me i listen to this and i'm like yeah or like sending us pictures of them and their best friend and being like we're best friends and you guys are best friends and that's great like yeah it makes me feel i think you have said this on the podcast before but we'll just say it again because i don't get i don't get tired of hearing it it makes us feel connected as well like if you're connecting with it we feel connected to you as well yeah um great okay do you want to hear about this horrible lighthouse bullshit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no. Okay, so one of the biggest sticking points for the skeptics is the lighthouse. People like to point out that a few miles away from Rendlesham Forest is the Orford Lighthouse. John Burroughs said in his account that first night that they moved through the forest into the farmer's field and he could see the lighthouse beacon. And he referred to it as a beacon in his official statement. So John Burroughs from the first night, at the very least, clearly knew that there was a lighthouse there, knew what it looked like, knew what it was, and noted it in addition to the lights. On the tape recording from the second night, Halt takes a compass reading of 120 degrees, which is about within 10 degrees of where the lighthouse actually is. And when he says, there it is, there it is again, which you pointed out earlier, that the interval between when he sees it each time is five seconds apart. The flashing rate of the Orford Lighthouse is five seconds. So skeptics like to say that what they were seeing was the lighthouse, and they described it as like blinking on and off um, because that's what a lighthouse looks like. I'm upset. I know, but don't worry, because I'm coming to your, to your aid, because... Okay. As you heard in the second recording, he says the light's red. Yeah. Which is not the color of a lighthouse. And then someone else says, and there's a yellow tinge to it. Um, And Colonel Halt says there's multiple lights. And that doesn't explain why the light would look like it was moving side to side, which is something else he says in the tape recording that I played earlier. Um, They say it's moving side to side. It doesn't explain why pieces of light would be shooting off of it. Also, lighthouses don't lose altitude, which is another <laughs> thing that he said. And as I pointed out earlier, on the tape, he points out there's two in the north and one in the south. So I'm not saying that the lighthouse wasn't 
one of the many lights that someone saw those nights, but it does not explain everything away. Thank you. (laughs) Now, Halt wrote a book called The Halt Perspective that explained his side of the story, and he points out that he didn't have a choice about whether or not this story got told, because his memo and his recordings were released to the public in that Freedom of Information Act request without his, like, consent, obviously, because they're military files. So Charles Halt had no motivation to make up any kind of story. Um, Yeah. And he even wrote the Halt perspective basically to clear his name because when this stuff got released, everyone was just like, what, what's your problem? And he was like, I didn't, (laughs) you know. I didn't Um, think you would hear it. Right. And he also pointed out, and it's like kind of sad that when that stuff was released, no superior officers ever spoke out in support of him. That's so sad. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about Larry Warren. Larry Warren was the original whistleblower on of the Rendlesham incident. He's the one who gave the story to the press when it was originally published. But his involvement and his account of the events of the Rendlesham Forest incident have been widely disputed by everyone involved. <laughs> His story doesn't match anyone's timeline. A lot of ufologists hate Larry Warren because they think that his account is the reason that nobody takes the incident seriously. Because everyone else's account is like, we saw lights. Even Jim Penniston's account is like, I saw a craft that like could, for all intents and purposes, be an Apollo capsule. Like, it's all within the realm of possibility. Larry Warren says that he had a close encounter of the third kind. Larry. And he says that he saw actual aliens. So put on your alien hat. I just feel like even if... Okay, if I was involved in an incident like this and I was like the Larry Warren where I was like no 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 I like met them and Mm -hmm. everyone else was like it was lights I would be like it was lights (laughs) (laughs) you wouldn't be like you wouldn't be like no it's my alien girlfriend from Canada and her parents won't let her come visit but like we met at summer camp yeah she's not allowed to come to our prom but (laughs) But I'm going to hers. Yeah, exactly. It's coincidentally um, right when our spring break is. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't be at school anyway. <laughs> um, I <laughs> Like, not in private. Like, in private, I would be like, 100%, it's my alien girlfriend from Canada. Look mm-hmm. at our prom photos. <laughs> but in public, for the They're sake of They're all just blurry the- photos of... <laughs> Like the run of some like, you know, like it was photos. the gym, the school gym was radioactive, so my camera got messed. <laughs> uh, I, but for the sake of everyone else, like, and for the ufologists, I would just be like, yeah, hunt, it was lights. Just because you don't want to be that one person. You know what? Never mind. Speak your truth. Whatever. Well, why don't I tell you just like a little bit? Because here's the thing. I'm not going to go through Larry Warren's whole story. He wrote a literal novel about it. Um, 
a, a, a fictionalized no 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 it's true but it's like literal like it's 512 pages whoa larry see that's what i'm saying okay no here's the thing speak your truth i'm just saying what the ufologists feel like they just get upset um we don't have to identify with anyone in this story we can choose to be like the listeners of the story um we don't have to put ourselves (laughs) into the story wow that is revolutionary and very relaxing thank you so larry warren wrote a book called left at east gate that's 512 pages and i'll come back to that um because basically the reason i'm telling you this is because i'm not going to tell his whole side of the story that would make the podcast three hours long it would go down all the rabbit burrows i don't have time so he claimed to see the craft land he claimed to see three beings emerge from the ufo he said they were two-legged possessed similar features to humans like eyes and hands but with translucent skin and bright clothing he claims that he saw a commanding officer come through the woods either colonel halt or colonel williams he said the commander moved through uh moved toward the beings and he said that it looked like they were having a standoff larry was also allegedly later caught on tape by ufologists admitting that he wasn't at raf woodbridge until december 30th of 1980 <gasps> allegedly he then went on to write a best-selling book called left at east gate which he co-authored with a man named peter robbins in 2017 peter robbins gave this statement the encompassed picture is the subjective account of my co-author's story of the events that he was involved in the events surrounding him Things that don't directly relate to the story, but to his life, were not only not accurate, but they were not true. Having worked with him for decades, for having spent several intense years at the beginning, we're talking 30 years ago next month, when we shook hands, that I would assist him in writing this book. I have a long history with Larry Warren, and I felt that after doing the research that he was absolutely good on his word. I felt I had proved enough to myself of Larry's account and details surrounding it that he was telling the truth, and now I feel that in part that was not the case and there was an intent to deceive. To say this has tore me up over the last year is an understatement. Oh. Yeah, so Peter Robbins, like, got hurt. He was like a uh, uh, collateral damage of this fiasco. Also, just a bit of a side note, Nick Pope, who formerly ran the Ministry of Defense's Secretariat Air Staff 2A, which was referred to as the UFO desk, um, which was essentially like a unit that investigated military sightings of UFOs, um, but it was shut down in 2009 because of budget cuts. So Nick Pope, who's the former director of the UFO desk, um, sided with Peter Robbins, and he made a facebook post oh god (laughs) about what happened with larry warren where when everyone stopped believing him um that ended with the verdict from the wider ufo community is clear the larry warren story is officially dead that ignited a flame war on facebook with larry warren and i didn't like watch the video but larry warren made a video (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. And 
he did get an amazing zinger in there that I read as was reported by the mirror where he said about Nick Pope, you were never in the military. You wore a tie somewhere. Oh, rude. (laughs) Yeah. So they are like fighting on Facebook. Now, put your alien hat back on. Okay. Hats back on. (laughs) In December of 2010, Peniston came out uh, to a history channel, I believe, and added a new piece to the puzzle. He claimed that he had not told anyone at the time, but when he touched the craft, he had telepathically received a string of zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind that this was 1980, so now we know that that's binary code, but at the time, like, no one would have known what that was, probably. Um, and... In 2010, we knew what binary code was. So if he's telling the truth at the time, he wouldn't have known what that was. But who's to say whether or not he's telling the truth? But the next day, he allegedly just wrote down like three or four notebook pages of binary that was like just running in his head that he couldn't get out of his head. That he said basically like he just absorbed when he touched the craft. So he showed the pages of binary to experts. And when the experts decoded the binary, this is what it said. Oh, my God. I'm really excited. Sorry. (laughs) Exploration of humanity, 666-8100. Then coordinates. I'm not going to read the numbers of the coordinates. Then it said continuous for planetary Advan. Then it said fourth coordinate continue out. And then some jumbled letters and then the word before. Then it listed about six more coordinates. Then the phrase eyes of your eyes. Then the word origin with coordinates. And then the phrase origin year 8100. What? Now, I'm sure you're wondering what those coordinates are. The answer is high Brazil. No. And yes. Right. And I just got really excited. High Brazil, which we did a podcast episode about where Kayla covered mm-hmm. high Brazil. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. It's high Brazil, a wizard named Andrew. Um, <laughs> and the coordinates of several ancient sites like the pyramids of giza mayan ruins a place near sedona arizona near red rock state park the first of five sacred mountains in china and the apollo temple in greece wait what do you mean a place near sedona arizona is this like like his aunt's house no it's just like coordinates in the desert okay but we don't know, like, for example, that could be anything. Like, we don't know if that site was, like, important to any cultures or anything like that. Like, yeah. to us, it's, like, a place in the desert, but we don't know anything about it. Okay. Is it possible that Sergeant Jim Penniston received coordinates for ancient sites that provide a window into our universe? Ancient astronaut theorists say yes. So does Caleb Vandebund. <laughs> Um, I say yes. Yes, like high Brazil. I will say that when I was Googling the coordinates to see like what they were, 
Um, all of them like brought up the places on Google Maps and you can like see like satellite photos of all of them. But something weird happened when I was looking at the high Brazil coordinates both times. It pulled up the coordinates. It said like this is a place in the Atlantic Ocean and it showed like the picture, like the preview on the left hand side, like a photo of the ocean. But then the actual like Google Maps view glitched and was just like blinking like empty internet space at me and I was like whoa that's freaky and I like closed it and then I went back and did all the other ones and then I went back to high Brazil and it did it again where it just like was blinking the grid at me it would never show me <gasps> the actual spot isn't that weird oh is it possible I... that high <laughs> Brazil ancient astronaut theorists say what do- here's my thing you know what grinds my gears <laughs> What don't ancient astronaut theorists say yes to? That's a great question. Probably paying child support. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to give me money for Mark's soccer club camp this weekend? Ancient astronaut theorists say no. (laughs) I was going to say they probably have some like really strong opinions on things that you needn't have a strong opinion about. Like, you know, those people who like real are really anti-sweet potato fry. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, why? Why do you care so much? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Anyway, back to the well-researched mystery we're discussing. So Joseph Reinemann, who is a civilian computer scientist on Quora... Oh, says <laughs> he says large samples of binary code can be made to say pretty much anything you want them to binary go. code on its own is essentially just a very large number it really only takes it only really takes on meaning when paired with a specific encoding scheme and there are a lot of different encoding schemes an executable file uses an x86 x64 instruction set a text file uses ASCII, ANSI, or Unicode. A bitmap uses RGB values, and so on. And it's quite possible to feed the same code into multiple encoding schemes and get multiple valid results. So, jury's out on whether that binary code means anything. Okay, that's what I was trying. I didn't have the words for, but that's what I was asking. You know, yeah. like, how yeah, do we basically, fi- like, how do we know that any of that is anything? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. In 2005, the Forestry Commission used lottery proceeds to create a trail in Rendlesham Forest because of public interest and nicknamed it the UFO Trail. And you can go walk it. I would like to do that, please. Um, Bentwaters now has a Cold War museum. All right, so... So we can go to there. Let's go to there. (laughs) And we can walk on the UFO Trail and visit the Cold War Museum. Something for everyone in the family. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The happiest place on earth for a gumshoe. Um, In 2014, the Forestry Service commissioned an artist to create a work which has been installed at the end of the trail. The artist states that the piece is modeled on the sketches that purportedly represent the versions of the UFO claimed to have been seen at Rendlesham. So you can go walk the trail and see the artist's sculpture of the ufo i want to do that really bad yeah we should do that we can oh my god uk we're coming for you we're and adults when we get there we can just go, go to rendlesham forest 
I know. And that's the story of the Rendlesham Forest incident. I have a question for you. Sure. What do you think happened? I don't fucking know. I don't know, because you know me, like, I tend to lean towards Occam's razor. And in this case, it's like, in this case, Occam's razor, like, the the simplest answer would just be aliens. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think it's possible that it was, like, a combination of, like, okay, because when, remember when you were, like, what does it mean when it says, like, pieces of light were breaking off and falling? Yeah. Like, that sounds like a meteor, like, disintegrating and, like, breaking up in the atmosphere to me. Like, have you, like, have you ever seen, like, a meteor break up in the atmosphere? Yeah, I guess that's true, because I was, Cause like... when you asked me, I was going to say, it sounds to me like a meteor breaking up, or, like, a Russian satellite crashing to Earth and pieces of it breaking off as it enters the atmosphere. Um, also, uh, I do think it's... I do like the skeptic's notion that, like, because there were, like, special ops going on at the base, and this was, like also the inception of a lot of um like new flight technology that maybe some of these things that were like moving around at crazy speeds and whatever could have been part of our own like military aerial phenomena yeah the military catching itself yeah I do think the idea of the military catching itself has some credence especially because all the witnesses were base security and the ops guys never came forward about anything. Yeah. Um, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt any of the witnesses in terms of like what they saw. Like I do believe that they, and especially the, the halt tape. It's like there clearly was something in the fucking sky that night. And I also think, and also civilians saw. Um, and I think that it's ridiculous to insinuate that those military guys wouldn't know the difference between like a lighthouse and like something hovering like in the opposite direction. Do you know what I mean? Um, but that's what makes me, that's like what especially makes me think it was, may have been the military catching itself. I think that like a lot of unexplained aerial phenomena could be explained by the fact that it's all just like shit. The government doesn't want us to know about. Yeah. Whether that's our own technology or someone else's. I mean, also keep in mind, this is 1980. It's the cold war. Like, Russian technology, like, I don't know, like, Russian satellites were crashing all around. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? There's no, like, it could have been stuff that was being tested then that, like, either has still, like, has not made its debut or that maybe, like, they put the kibosh on it. What do you think happened? Um, I want to think it's aliens. Sure, sure, sure. Don't we all? I do. I had a thought while you were talking that... If it's the mil- – like, because I – for with this one especially, I keep coming back to, like, okay, but what about the stuff that, like, isn't – when people are, like, 100% this was not anything that could have been made on Earth. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, I don't remember what it is, but somebody talked about the phenomena where when your brain sees something that, that is it just can't so comprehend. far yeah. beyond its comprehension that it just, like – it goes into Basically shock just and just like makes something shuts up. down. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe stuff in the 80s, like tech, like secret military technology that they were testing out to someone who was only familiar with 80s technology, their brain would just be like, I don't know, like throw some glowing hieroglyphs on yeah. there and like. <laughs> totally. 
so that's possible. I it a hundred percent wasn't a lighthouse. Yeah, I agree. Can guarantee you that. It could be some weird fortuitous combination of the meteor and the Russian, like just like some weird statistically unlikely just like a weird confluence of factors and i do think like i don't know because i do think that like john burroughs and the other guys on the first night saw something like land in the forest essentially i do believe them that like they saw something like take off i do you know like the forest was radioactive i don't know like i feel like there was physically something there i just don't know what it was and the like it could be military technology. I don't know, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess the whole point of this goddamn cursed podcast is that we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> but you better fuckle the buck up. And you should especially fuckle the buck up because fuckle the buck up merch is coming. Oh, yeah. We're working on new fuckle the buck up shirts. And a lot of people have been asking about them. So this is your warning. Yeah. They are coming. So don't you worry. <laughs> as soon as somebody gets her shit together non naming names. names me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we don't know so i hope you enjoyed the Brendelsham forest i incident. enjoyed this personally i enjoyed this very much i hope everyone else did thank you all for listening thank you for listening there are more exciting things happening with the podcast and the tiktok and the Instagram and all the things. So stay tuned for more fun things. Stay tuned for merch. Um, Keep your eyes and ears on. What did you say? Keep your eyes and ears out. (laughs) Buckle the buck up. We don't know. Stay in your lane. Smooches. Unidentified flying smooches. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't a lighthouse. Goodbye. Goodbye.